Hello, Insiders, and a very pleasant good afternoon to you, wherever you may be. This is your host, Bruce Ash, along with Inside Track co-host... Eb Wilkinson. Coming to you live from the luxurious Wilkinson Wealth Management Studios located in the KVOI Broadcast Complex here in Tucson, Arizona, on a beautiful February afternoon, welcoming you to a special Balloons and UFOs edition of Inside Track. Producer Tom also joins us running the board and taking your calls which are relevant to the topic at 520-790-2040. Hey, Bruce and I want to remind you to please support our great sponsors, Tucson Iron and Metal Retail. Call Jamie or Craig at 209-1576 or visit the yard Monday at 701 West 36th Street for the best pricing anywhere for steel products for your home, farm, or ranch. Also, Corazon Cabinets. Give Joy and Allie a call, 488-2266, to set up an appointment at their design Dream Center and get cabinets for your kitchen, bath, or home at prices you'll love. And, of course, Eric Rudin Essential Pest Control. Eric's great team has just completed weed prevention at Bruce's house with the warm winter around the corner. Let the Essential team eliminate bugs and vermin for you. Call Essential at 520 520- 886-3029, and I've got to give them a call as well to get my house done. It's a little late, actually. Damn it. <laughs> my All of my decomposed granite, though, is still green. Uh, it's great. Also supporting Inside Track is the aforementioned Mr. Wilkinson from Wilkinson Wealth Management. Eb will help you retire comfortably, and you will remain comfortably retired. Call Eb at 777-1911. Eb and I support all of our great locally owned, family-run businesses who support our show. So should you. And by the way, if you are an NRA-eligible voter, please vote our friend, Eb Wilkinson, to the National Rifle Association Board, the National Board, and your vote matters. We have a great show for you today. Friend of the show, Bob Wells, on the intel from the CCC Balloon Gate case. Next up, Former NSC spokesman uh, discuss, uh, John Uliot discusses uh, the politics of the balloon gate. And then bringing us local, former LD11 state senator Vince Leach calls us to give us a report from the Capitol. Before we get started, though, with our first guest, here's a quick rundown on the news. Hey, Kamala Harris says Russia has committed crimes against humanity. And she actually said so without breaking into laughter. Boy, she's a case. The Wall Street Journal reports that despite sanctions, Chinese drones still support Russia's war in Ukraine, and Moscow continues to deploy small, unmanned Chinese aircraft in the battlefield in Ukraine. And we're going to be hearing from our national security expert, Bob Wells, shortly, but U.S.-Canada have abandoned the search for downed objects from the shootdowns. The end of the search means Americans might never receive a detailed, conclusive accounting of what was hit. And Bruce, I heard that it was some high school's weather balloon. It was. It was a. It was a club balloon. Was the I think the fourth one. And it went missing. What a shot. <laughs> Uh, Culver City, California, a group of parents stepped to the lectern Tuesday night at a school board meeting in this middle-class Los Angeles area city to push back against racial equity initiatives. The high school, they argued, 
should reinstate honors English classes that were eliminated because they didn't enroll enough black and Latino students. The district earlier uh, had said this school year uh, they replaced the honors classes at Culver City High School with uniform courses that officials say will ensure students of all races an equal, rigorous education. Parents there strenuously disagreed. And from the Washington Examiner, Biden's NTSB says that Pete Buttigieg has spread disinformation about East Palestine and he needs to go. Pete's first reaction to the train crash in East Palestine, Ohio, was to lie in an effort to cast blame on someone else. That would be Trump, of course. He asserted that the crash had occurred because of a regulatory decision that occurred under the Trump administration. And his assertion was a lie. So says NTSB Chairwoman Jennifer Hamadi. And, you know, um, the president really ought to visit that place. And somebody ought to ask him, if this is so safe, would he drink the water? And hand him a glass. I doubt if he would. Mike Pence vows to fight up to the Supreme Court on executive privilege related to January 6th events. And, well, he should. And Kimberly Strassel writes from the Wall Street Journal, James Clapper's disinformation Politico distorted the 2020 letter signed by 51 ex-Intel officials. Now he tells us. And by the way, it's a little bit more than a distortion, Bruce. He's a walking fib machine. Jason Douglas and Stella Xi writing in the journal report, don't count on China to save the world economy. Early signs suggest the country's economic revival at the end of COVID controls will mostly be left in, in service industries at home with limited impact abroad. And U.S. watchdogs want to deploy staff to Ukraine war zones to track arms and aid. Three inspectors general say they haven't seen evidence of major fraud, but want personnel on the ground. Um. From last week's Super Bowl, um, it was a great game. I, I happened to have gone there with with uh, with my buddy and business partner Jeff and his son and son-in-law. Uh, what a fun time! Let me just tell you, after watching the game, which was one of the best Super Bowls uh, ever, especially the last two minutes. Yeah, especially the last two minutes. If you were a Kansas City Chiefs fan, uh, not so much on the other side. But it's not just about winning or losing. Eagles quarterback. Uh, Jalen Hurts says what might have been the best statement about competition and life. He says it's about winning or learning. And he's right. We celebrate our wins, but we can learn more from losing. Now, I don't want to lose all the time, but every time I have lost, believe me, I learn more from losing and, and, and not repeating my mistakes than I would by celebrating my victories and being all hyped up on that. Absolutely. And, Mr. Producer, uh, we are up against the time to go to our first break. You're listening to Inside Track on KVOI, Trusted Local News and Talk. When we return, Bruce speaks with friend of the show, retired U.S. Navy captain and NSC advisor to Dick Cheney, who will provide an intel assessment on the Chinese incursion of the American airspace. So no channel flipping. We'll be right back. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. A lot of the, the cities and the counties around have initiatives for artists. I think we're one of the premier artist suppliers for steel. First Saturday of every month, you can come down early and actually go through the scrapyard. 
across the street. It's seven acres of metal. You can walk through with our people and pick out what you want. It's always interesting to see what the artists have done. We've done uh, actually a couple projects with the U of A engineering department and music department where the engineering music students came down together. They had to pick something out of the scrap and uh, they had to build an instrument. And we have one of those in front of the plant. Some really cool things come out of the scrap. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard. 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up with science. You mean you don't use a shoe? No, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? None of that. Only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets. Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com. This is Ed Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management reminding you that every good and excellent thing stands moment by moment on the razor's edge of danger and must be fought for, including getting out of debt, building your wealth, and protecting your God-given right. We manage money for gun owners. Let us help you retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me at 777-1911 or wilkinsonwealthmgmt.com. I'm Peter Greenberg, and this is today's Ion Travel Minute. If you're a parent, then you know what the term UM stands for, unaccompanied minor, usually a child under the age of 14, flying alone. National Security Advisor to Dick Cheney, Robert Wells. Bob, how are you today? Good afternoon. How are you doing, Bruce? Great, 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 great. Hey, Captain Wells, without breaking any national security covenants you may have had to adhere to uh, during your service, do you recall the sort of incur- any sort of incursion by a known enemy of the U.S. Uh, remotely close to the incident uh, just uh, reported by the uh, People's Liberation uh, Army? Well, back uh, through my 30 years in naval operations as well as uh, national security uh certainly 9-11 comes to mind obviously you had non-nation state actors that uh concocted a, a terrorism plan and took uh a focus on obviously new york and the pentagon and and looked at trying to hurt the united states 19 people did that and certainly uh, we recall very uh, sharply still you know, the results of that 9-11 attack on American soil. As far as a nation state is concerned, certainly the, uh, the Russians, uh, Russian Federation, uh, tries with their air surveillance in certain different areas, but for the most part, they stay, stay clear of, uh, of U.S. airspace, stay outside of it, particularly of Alaska. Uh, certainly, if you look at operational areas, uh, in Europe and the Black Sea where they buzzed our ships, but certainly the United States uh, proper or sovereign territory, uh, 9-11 would be the best example. Hmm. Um, you, um, you briefed Dick Cheney on national security matters. What was the protocol on threat briefings you and your colleagues followed, followed as to possible threats to the homeland? Would a balloon headed east from Hanan Island, the size of three buses, drawn some attention and a reason 
uh, to provide that report in a morning briefing? Uh, yes, it would. In fact, uh, looking at uh, the context, the tactical situation of that particular incursion, particularly intelligence community informed, uh, if we had been tracking it since its origin, which I understand uh, was uh, off of Hainan Island uh, in the South China Sea, tracking it across the Pacific and looking at the actual uh, flight path, uh, which we know now was uh, into Alaska along the border of uh, North Dakota, Montana, and down through the United States off of South Carolina. We would brief the vice president on the current situation, the tactical situation, the uh, area, which is the U.S. Northern Command, or particular uh, fighter wings that were responsible for uh, homeland defense, uh, air defense missions, uh, the rules of engagement, and we always have pre-planned responses. So those are the elements that would go into the briefing. Uh, and we would also talk about the chain of command, talk about obviously the commander-in-chief, to the secretary of defense, to the uh, northern U.S. northern commander, uh, down to the assigned Air Force uh, wing that would have the F-35 or the F-16 uh, aircraft available for their air patrol and for their engagement. And you and you certainly know uh, more than the average bear about these sorts of briefings, not just from your work in the White House, but uh, I think uh, from what we've talked about in the past, when you were uh, helping uh, uh, drive uh, boats for the Navy, uh, you were also involved in uh, those security uh, briefings uh, on, a, on a daily basis, correct? That's correct. In fact, uh, every watch turnover we had on board a ship, you know, 24-7, uh, during my service, I was the air defense commander in an Aegis cruiser uh, right during that late 2001, early 2002 time frame when uh, we had five aircraft carriers going out and looking at the a plan of attack to support the operations uh, for Operation Anaconda uh, up there on the Hindu Kush and also the area around uh, Pakistan Afghanistan border. So the uh, same type of uh, process where you're looking at the current situation, the threat, whether it was symmetric or asymmetric, as we used to call it, which meant terrorist or nation state. Look at the tactical situation and then certainly the rules of engagement. Uh, based on the defense of the force, as well as our pre-planned responses uh, against air contacts in particular. So here's a hypothetical, Bob. In the Bush administration, if such a report had been provided, say, in 2002 to 2005, what might the differences in reaction be from those of the Biden administration exhibited the last couple of weeks? Uh, the DOD and NSC was a couple of weeks ago when it uh, crossed into uh, American airspace. Um, that uh, that balloon cruised over our strategic missile complexes, over subpens, as you mentioned, in South Carolina. When might the shoot-down order have been given during the Bush administration, do you think? Well, looking at the, uh, during the Bush administration in particular, there would be a sense of urgency. Uh, we would have a National Security Council meeting chaired by the president. And those particular meetings would provide the best. Over, every every brief in the White House started out with a, an intelligence briefing. It was very, rather uh, short and to the point. And then we had, as you mentioned, the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of State there as well. 
which had the direct command and control uh, for not only a, a military uh, response, but a political response, a diplomatic response, which included a demarche, would include a demarche to the to the nation state uh, because there's ambassadors right there in Washington, as well as the uh, orders based on the tactical situation to engage. So that would be left also to the uh, on-scene commander uh, to shoot down uh, a balloon of this sort. Uh, we were very keen uh, with regard to any type of threat in the United States. In particular, we're looking at uh, biological uh, concerns uh, with regard to aerial sprays of, uh, uh, of agent over uh, American Population Center. That was a key concern, uh, especially during uh, the post-9-11 period. So our listeners might recall that Armed Forces Chief Milley confided to his CHICOM counterpart at the end of the Trump administration that, quote, we're not going to attack you, um, when there was concern by some that the president's demeanor might be off somewhat after January 6th. Given this recent episode, uh, the January 21 communication with the CHICOMs, the disastrous retreat from Afghanistan, <clears throat> pardon me, the lack of preparedness before the Russian invasion uh, in Ukraine and many other incidents. What do you think we have right now? Is it a competency issue or a mix up of national loyalties within the White House and or in the Department of Defense? I, this is a, a a pretty tough question that I'm asking, uh, but I know that uh, you're going to uh, give us your best estimate. Right. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll have to unpack it just a little bit here. I, I think there is a uh, uh, a concern, uh, I think, with the National Security Council uh, framework that Mr. Biden has, has uh, got organized that um, they they seem to wait. There's no sense of urgency. And I think that's a critical point when compared to, uh, for example, the Bush administration, uh, the Trump administration, there was a sense of urgency with regard to national security. So I think that's that's uh, the broader context with regard to what uh, the response was with the uh, with the China balloon. I also think there's a, there's a bias. Uh, we saw this in the Bush administration, but it certainly seems to be even more prominent uh, to intelligence likes to watch they like to gather as much information as possible so you probably had advice uh coming at a national security council level for let's just watch it let's just see where it's physically going to go let's get as much intelligence as possible as opposed to a tactical situation where uh, we're a little bit more uh, focused on our sovereignty of our defense of our national security of our homeland defense with all the different possible threats and then the final point would be i think uh the president especially after afghanistan with the example of afghanistan uh i think he overrules uh his his professional uh people and uh he he also is uh is risk adverse to actually doing anything with the military uh, I think he's been that wave since uh, for quite a few years. I've seen him uh, up close and personal in Washington, D.C. during the Obama administration. So he doesn't have the national security mindset. He doesn't have the commander in chief mindset that the country deserves. And I think the next the next step certainly has to be for him to address 
and tell the truth since it does involve China. And we do need to change course on our China policy. I think the Congress is leading that effort uh, as we as we see it. And another thing is uh, hold off on China diplomacy. Why do we need to send our Secretary of State over to see the Chinese on this issue? I would think that the Chinese, based on if they want a positive relationship with the United States, uh, do this in person and send an emissary to Washington, D.C., they should come to see us. Hmm. So you, you don't think it's a lack of loyalty and you're not necessarily thinking that this is a lack of competency given uh, this recent history as well as some of the other uh, national security um, blunders that some people feel have taken place? That's correct. I, I think the competency, I think we have a competent professional uh, people in our Secretary of Defense, Austin uh, in particular, and certainly uh, with the commanders that are responsible for the Unified Command Plan, command plan uh, COCOMs, the combatant commanders. Uh, I do think uh, our national security strategy and, and implementing the strategy with regard to China is is the right way to go. But I do think it's the it's the sense of urgency. It's it's a it's a uh, character trait. It's a it's a fundamental uh, how like Mr. Obama said the world's the world we seek as opposed to the world's as it is. I, I do think they uh, uh, we got caught up with uh, with pushing the I believe button with uh, Mr. Putin and, and Russia and our deterrence did not work and Ukraine got invaded. I think we cannot make the same mistake with China. Our deterrence has to work. Our national security uh, sense of urgency and our a real clear focus on their intent and what capabilities that they are developing uh, militarily must be the North Star for our defense planning as well as for our diplomacy. So we can't just push the I believe button. We can't go back to a period of time where uh, we trusted the relationship with China that based on economic relations with China, they would become more uh, like us. And they're not a democracy. They're a communist regime. And we have to prepare ourselves to protect the United States and the people. So two things I want to cover, <clears throat> pardon me, before we um, finalize today, Bob. In view of not only this event, but denials and harsh language from the CHICOMs, is it time for the president to change his description of our relationship with China from competitor to enemy? I think... Uh, that's a very fair question with regard to competitor. I think there's still a competitor. I think the administration uh, in our national security strategy, national defense strategy, uh, calls the, calls China the pacing challenge with regard to our own defense uh, policy. But deeds and words, just like uh, all the way back to Harry Truman and uh, Richard Nixon, the fact that uh, we watched the deeds of the Chinese uh, not the words, even though um, they're hostile because of their the nature of the communist regime, but uh, enemy itself is uh, is something that uh, could be and should be. We think that way inside the Defense Department. Uh, we're always looking at an enemy with regard to making sure we have deterrence or, if necessary, uh, the capability to win uh, battles in our wars. So China, China could be the enemy in the future. We don't want them to be, but their deeds 
and what they do. And as H.R. McMaster, the former Trump administration national security advisor, uh, recently uh, noted, Xi Jinping is serious. And we should believe everything he says. We cannot put rose-colored glasses on to see things as we would like them to be. We have to look at the actual deeds of the Chinese in the South China Sea, what they're doing with gray zone tactics around Taiwan, what they do with regard to uh, to military developments, what they're doing in cyber, what they're doing with this balloon force. I think one of the silver linings with the balloon incident is going to be the fact that we were able to get the material recovered. Thank you, U.S. Navy off of South Carolina, and also uh, know a little bit more about the balloon launch site on Hainan Island, as Hainan Island is uh, a more important location for the American national security culture uh, to understand, because this is where the Chinese have their gym-class ballistic missile submarines, their guided missile destroyers, the new new ones, and uh, the South China Sea uh, operating areas. So uh, this is interesting uh, from that perspective. and uh, But I do think, uh, to conclude with your, your question, they're on the course to be an enemy of the United States. And we don't want it, but we have to be realistic. Well, Bob, um, we will uh, obviously have more conversations uh, together uh, on this and, and other uh, security issues. A U.S. Uh, former U.S. Navy captain and national security expert Robert Wells, when we return... We'll speak with John Uliot about the political implications of Balloon Gate. You're listening to Inside Track on KVOI, trusted local news and talk. We'll be right back. I'm proud to welcome my good friends at Tucson Iron and Metal Retail to Inside Track as an advertiser. Jamie Kipper and her staff are conservation experts. They sell round and square steel tubing metal plate and roofing materials as well as new and used steel aluminum and stainless steel to ranchers artists interior designers roofers and do-it-yourselfers just like all the listeners here tucson iron and metal retail is open monday through fridays 8 a.m to 4 30 p.m and saturdays 8 a.m to noon tucson iron and steel retail 701 east 36th street Call 520-209-1576 or go to TucsonIronRetail.com. And when you do call, mention this ad and receive an additional 10% discount on their already great prices. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up with science. You mean you don't use a shoe? No, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? None of that. Only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets. Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com. This is Eb Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management. Are you letting rising inflation interfere with your ammo budget? Don't do that. Let us show you how to buy the same goods and services 20 years from now as you can today. We manage money for gun owners and we can guide you to retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, at 777-1911 or wilkinsonwealthmgmt.com. There's a Chinese spy balloon peeking in my living room. Hey, our next guest 
John Elliott. I'll finish the song later for you, Bruce. Our next guest, John Elliott, is a U.S. Marine Corps veteran and served President Trump in the Veterans Affairs Department and a deputy assistant to the president and NSC spokesman. Hey, welcome back to Inside Ta uh, Track, John, and Semper Fi. Semper Fi. Thanks very much, Bruce. Uh, we had a great time when we were on your program a couple months back, so it's uh, glad to join you and your listeners. Okay, well, this is Eb. Bruce, of course, is sitting I'm here, across. I'm here, but I'm, I'm making Eb work today a little bit. Yeah, okay. all right, Ed. Yeah, Thank fellow you. Marine vet here, John. Uh, thank God we uh, both nothing happened. I was in during the Cold yeah. War, so because of me, peace yeah, reigned throughout the thing. world. Yeah, that's right. I did the same thing. Uh, we just uh, it was between the uh, Gulf War and the uh, and the Iraq invasion. So as when I was there. Oh, good. I was about 10 years yeah. prior to you. Hey, we heard from okay. Bob Wells on the Intel side. Let's discuss the politics of Balloon Gate. Is it okay. my imagination, or does it seem to be there's sure a hell of a lot of confusion about the, what the president knew, when he knew it, and what he did when the Chinese spy balloon entered American airspace? You worked at the NSC. What's your observation? Well, it was clear that if the president didn't know about it, his, uh, his generals did know about it, and they were tracking this spy balloon, this is the Chinese Communist Party spy balloon, and they tracked it not only from where it went over Alaska, then the Aleutians, then the Pacific, and ended up over Montana, where a citizen just looked up and saw this huge thing in the sky, and then we would not have heard about this thing had it not been spotted over Montana, and then suddenly it became a deal. But what the Pentagon has said is that they were tracking this thing all the way, not only when it started going over Alaska, but they actually picked it up when it was leaving China to fly north toward, uh, toward Alaska. So they all knew about it. Whether or not they told the president about it, that's something that we'll never know. But what the president does say is that he, is that he was informed when it was over Montana, and at that point, he wanted to shoot it down, but it was too late because his it was never too late because he's the commander in chief. He could have done that, but he followed the advice apparently of his generals, which once again goes against the fact that he's the decider, he's the decision maker, and yet he let his generals talk him out of knocking this thing down. And then here it is, we are a week and a half later, and they're knocking down every carnival balloon that goes up in the sky here so it's a total double standard and the fact is is that the president was flat-footed when the real balloon came over which is the chinese communist party spy balloon and he was given that heads up at least in montana when it was in montana and chose not to take the step that now he's doing with much smaller balloons so do you think this balloon was a test of the american security and what do you think the chinese chairman for life and his military generals learned from the American resolve uh, with the uh, seriousness of an incursion. Well, Ed and Bruce, what it is, is it's a, it was a literal trial balloon from the Chinese <laughs> Communist Party, and by extension, by President Xi. Yeah, it was literally a trial balloon. And what they did was they were, not, they were doing two things here. They were gathering intel over some of our most sensitive military sites and then they were also testing the resolve of how we would respond again so they got the intel and they also got the intel got the intel from our 
ground, but they also got the intel from how we would respond. And they found us flat-footed, and they got to actually get the intel that they never would have gotten had we shot the thing down. And once again, we're taking those steps now with much lesser balloons that that give us much less of a threat than the Chinese spy balloon did. So it's just a total double standard. John Bruce Ash here. Did you follow the Chinese public statements following the discovery of the balloon, which were denial, admission, and then followed by uh, immediately by rhetorical threats? From a political standpoint, how coherent or lack of coherent was messaging that was coming from the president and the uh, Department of Defense spokesman, John Kirby, who I refer to as Baghdad Bob. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. In fact, Kirby has my old job. Yeah. Kirby is the NS- NSC spokesman, and that's exactly what I had, uh, the job that I had under President Trump. But I tell you what, we would never have put our put my guys or put our national security advisor out at the podium in a situation where they don't have any answers. I mean, that's just malpractice from a, just like how Baghdad Bob did, uh, you, you hit it on the head, Bruce, but bottom line is that we had very, that she's people had it, had it uh, right. They denied that this was their balloon. Then suddenly they said, we want our balloon back. Then they threatened us and said, if this happens again, and they said that we were sending balloons over their country and there's no evidence of that. So anyway, they were, to your point, Bruce, giving different and conflicting responses. And yet we go out there with zero information because we couldn't get our act together. And so you put this guy, my successor, Kirby, out there. And once again, that puts him in a really bad spot. But, you know, we would not have gone out there had we not had answers. There's no reason to get to the White House podium if you don't know what you're going to say and when you're going to say it to the American people, because otherwise you look like you're completely ham-handed, which is exactly what happened, not only with him, but with this Karine Jean-Pierre, who... Oh, my God. It's the the Keystone cops up there at the podium, and we don't need that. I think she needs to go back working at the call center. Uh, Former Secretary (laughs) of Defense Robert Gates once famously said, Joe Biden has not been right on defense for 47 years. Do you think that still holds after... Uh, our retreat from Afghanistan, failure to prevent the Russian invasion. He seems to always have been a dove, and some say he frequently has countermanded uh, the military. I understand that he opposed the, um, uh, uh, you know, the bin the, Laden raid. The, yeah, the bin Laden raid, and 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 so on. What are your thoughts about Joe Biden's aversion to action? Well, Bruce, what the deal is is that Joe Biden's conversion well he's now converted after the spy balloon debacle but if you look at in afghanistan to your point he had an absolute disaster of a drawdown there where president trump had teed it up to actually never have the taliban running that country and it was going to be a very there were plans for a very smooth drawdown those were thrown out the window just like everything that trump did that was a success it was thrown out the window on day one so afghanistan and number two, when we had our first engagement with the Chinese, I don't know if you all remember, but it was up in Anchorage, Alaska, and it was about two, three months into the Biden term. And what happened was Tony Blinken and Jake Sullivan, right. the national security advisor, they went up there and they allowed themselves. They sat there and let themselves get lectured by the Chinese 
on our record on human rights, meaning our racism, quote unquote, as a country. Meantime, they're killing the Uyghurs, imprisoned several million Uyghurs, and then they're moving on Taiwan. They have complete lockdown on their country. And then we sat there and they didn't say anything, Blinken and Sullivan. They just let themselves get lectured. And so that was another trial balloon, not a literal one like this one, but it was seeing how much, I mean, it's like coming in there and how much can you beat somebody over the head with, with something that, that uh, has no connection with reality. And suddenly we are not saying anything. Instead, we sheepishly, as we left, as Sullivan and Blinken left there, they essentially said, well, we have our flaws. They have their flaws. Let's all move forward together, et cetera, instead of pushing back in a big way and say, how dare you lecture us like that? And so bottom line, that's a long-winded answer, gentlemen. But the thing is, is that from day one, Biden has telegraphed weakness, whether it's up in Anchorage, whether it's never asking for accountability on the COVID virus or what I call the Chinese Communist Party virus. That's right. There's no there's no asking for them. That killed over a million Americans. And it caused just absolute devastation to our economy. We had these ridiculous lockdowns that are really our fault more than anything under Fauci. But bottom line is that we have no accountability for that. There's never been anybody Biden down on down to tell them, hey, when are you guys going to pay up for what you did to our economy through this ridiculous virus that you guys cooked up in your own labs? And number two, we allowed them to completely lecture us. And then what happened is there was this disastrous Putin meeting in uh, in Geneva, where essentially he telegraphed weakness Biden did once again to Putin. All this is the reason why we're in Ukraine right now, gentlemen, because it was it was Anchorage, it was Afghanistan, it yeah. was Putin before that, and they and they uh, under Trump they never went in. If Trump was really colluding with with Putin, then Putin would have would have gone right into. Ukraine, because he would have said, hey, look the other way, Mr. Trump, because we're we're in bed together. But obviously it shows that there was no collusion and there was no invasion of Ukraine at all under Trump. And then suddenly he gets the green light Putin does because of our weakness in Afghanistan and elsewhere. John Elliott, thanks for visiting with us on on such short notice. Thanks for the absolutely unbelievably great insights from from the the chair that you uh, once uh, had at NSC. Uh, We hope we can call upon you again soon. We're going to switch topics here, uh, listeners. We're going to go to Arizona Issues. John, we appreciate hearing from you you today. Thanks, Tom or Bruce. You bet. You bet. Now it's time to hear from former Arizona Senator from LD11, Vince Leach. Vince is watching the 2023 session at the legislature. We're pleased he's passing along news from the Capitol we may never read in our local newspaper. Welcome back. The to Red Star. <laughs> the Dead Star is more like it. <laughs> Welcome back to Inside Welcome, Track, gentlemen. Vince. Thanks, guys, for having me on. Hey, um, I heard someplace, I read someplace, that a bunch of uh, subpoenas flew out from uh, that uh, crazy new prosecutor on January 6th. Can you talk about that and how it's impacting uh, some of our uh, local people here in uh, the Arizona legislature? Yeah, the Biden administration to uh, the special counsel, uh, Jack Smith, just just won't end. It's, uh, it's ongoing, ongoing. They're weaponizing the Department of Justice, and, and you're right. Um, I, I, I know some about it. I can, I can talk a little bit about it, but not, not all of it because it's, it's an ongoing investigation. But, yeah, it has been confirmed that, that Senate President Warren Peterson 
uh, Speaker uh, Ben Toma uh, and uh, uh, Majority Leader uh, Sonny Borelli, as well as former uh, election Senate, Michelle Eugenti Rita, uh, have been named in this subpoena. Um, it is, it, 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 you know, they're going from Pence and Trump, and they're looking, in my estimation, for every little piece of something to grab a hold of and to keep this in front of the American public. And it's just, um, it's a waste of time and energy, in, in, in my in my view, and uh, just digging, 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 and it's time to move on. Look at this. Look at this group of national people. Joe Geno, uh, <coughs> Joe Genova, uh, excuse me, Joe DeGenova, John Eastman, Jenna Ellis, Boris Epstein, Rudy Giuliani, Bernard Carrick, uh, Cleta Mitchell, uh, Matthew Morgan, Kurt Olson, William Olson, Sidney Powell, Bill Stepien. I, I mean, I know a lot of these people, Bill Stepien especially. There's like no way that he colluded. Victoria Tensing, James Troopy, and Ellen Wood. I mean, th- these guys are absolutely weaponizing, uh, aren't they, the, the Department of Justice? Well, well, they are, Bruce. And, and uh, the, only, the only connection that I can see uh, where somebody got a wild hair is that there was a meeting. You might remember that uh, Rep- Representative Mark Fincham had a had a hearing yeah. uh, that included many, if not all, of those people. And the day after, Senate leadership met with many of them, uh, uh, Rudy and, and his entourage of uh, 18, 20 people, however many you name right. there, came to the Senate and had we had about a two-hour meeting. I don't know if that's what's spurring this. Um, it, it's nothing. It's harassment. Be. Yeah, well, it is. Uh, I will tell you that in that meeting, the only the only thing that I recall uh, coming out of that was that there were like fourteen thousand dead people that voted, and that entourage was going to get us names, addresses of people that that uh, supposedly voted that were had passed on to the other side. That never happened. Mm. Uh, that never happened. It's just the. Uh, you know, it's look under this rug, look under that rug, and and cause a lot of people uh, a lot of discern. Well, hey, it's well, up here. Quick question: Are you saying that the fourteen thousand dead people didn't vote? Uh, <laughs> no, they, they didn't provide them. If if, if, if in fact they they voted, uh, like uh, that the troop said, uh, there was no indication of that that came further in the week. I think our meeting happened on a Tuesday. Uh, on a Friday, uh, it was, they were supposed to get it to us. We never did get it. It was supposed to be sent to then-President Karen Fan. And I, I, I would add, guys, that uh, uh, earlier, before session was out, before the, the, the new legislature was sworn in, uh, they had uh, they'd already uh, subpoenaed um, then-Chairman uh, Kelly Ward and Senate President, then Senate President Karen Fan, as well as uh, 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 Kelly Townsend, uh, Senator Kelly Townsend. Hmm. Well, look, uh, we're here to talk about the legislature. Uh, I understand uh, there has been a uh, an education bill that got passed. Talk about that and what's up uh, with the governor's plan to end ESAs. Yeah, well, the, the, two things. First of all, the, the, the thing that you might have seen in the news that's not talked about or certainly not understood is the aggregate expenditure limit. Back in the 1980s, uh, this was passed by the voters. There was a formula 
that said uh, growth in, in public education funding couldn't grow over uh, certain things, so student count, CPI, uh, just population growth. Um, that has become, as we, as, as the legislature over the years, has increased spending tremendously, going from $9,000 a student, a little over 9000 to just under $16,000 a student. Uh, the last two years, we've gone over. The state has gone over the aggregate expenditure limit. Uh, it, it's kind of convoluted because we actually uh, appropriate the money and the authorization to spend the money comes in the aggregate expenditure limit. It's it's crazy the way it's set up, but that's the way it's set up. So there's uh, we appropriated when I was in the legislature an additional 1.4 billion dollars last year to K-12, uh, but the authorization because that 1.4 would go over the aggregate expenditure limit, uh, they couldn't spend it, and we were coming down. They were coming down to a March 1st deadline. It's uh, It was passed. It, it doesn't take a governor's signature. It's just a uh, two-thirds majority of the House and the Senate. It was passed. What was disturbing about it is that uh, uh, there were many within the uh, Arizona Freedom Caucus, including representation, uh, Republican representation from uh, LD-17, that voted against it, which is, which is difficult because that LD-17 uh, contains... One of the best, if not the best, uh, school in the state, that being the Vail School District. I don't understand their move. They're, they said that uh, you know money isn't being spent in the right spot and all that, but it's it's uh, there's a lot of pushback in the education community in that part of the world, and it would affect also the large schools, uh, Marana and Amphi. It's significant money. I think it was almost a million. Uh, way over a million dollars for, for all the schools. That would, and when you're looking at the major employer in many of our locales uh, throughout the state, uh, it was a, a, a major uh, program to be put through. Regarding the ESAs, uh, Governor Hobbs has made it penchant to, to get rid of the uh, school choice uh, for kids. And she's been against it since day one. Uh, it was interesting that uh, uh, President Biden yesterday made a another slip, not not uncommon practice for him, but said every child should have the opportunity to go to the school of their choice. Uh, obviously, that was uh, in favor of school choice, but we still have some diehard Democrats that believe that kids should be locked in to the school of their zip code, should not have the opportunity to escape schools that have really handcuffs on kids that aren't teaching. We have schools that are uh, that are that have proficiency ratings of eight, uh, 18, 20% in math and reading, uh, and that's just not fair to the students. It's not fair to the parents, and if they're locked in. With the ESA program, there's about $7,000 per student that allows them to go to their, their school of choice and to escape bad schools. And while we have a number of great schools in the state of Arizona, we have some that are not performing, and the Democrats in our in our state just don't want to admit that. They think that all schools are are equal and performing well, and they simply are not. Hey, Vince, we would have been better off passing comprehensive election reform and protection bills when we held the governor's office and the AG. What's in the works now, and are the Republicans going to get it right? And what are the chances that Hobbs will sign any of these bills? 
Yeah, thank you for asking that question. I, uh, I'm looking at the election bills as they come down. There's a plethora of bills almost every week coming out of the House and the Senate. And while I, I appreciate the efforts of all the House members and the Senate members for passing all these uh, uh, election reform bills, and all the way from uh, early ballots to drop boxes to uh, I think there was a bill that went up. I don't know if it got through this week or not. I hadn't checked that would force you to uh, uh, re-register every 10 years. That, by the way, is in, in, in violation of the National uh, Voting Rights Act. Uh, but my concern about that is there doesn't seem to be any central push on a bill or a couple of bills that would encompass the majority of this. We had a bill um, last last year when I was there that that encompasses uh, small counties and large counties uh, of a, a systematic way to check uh, election performance, uh, all the way from voter registration to ballots through uh, machines, right on down the list, uh, because of one senator at that time uh, that didn't think there was anything wrong with the 2020 election uh the uh, whose name uh, shall go the, nameless yes they they well, he, and he's no longer serving uh, uh did not pass and didn't go anywhere uh, i think that my personal feeling is is that, that if the legislature would sit down with the governor and and talk some reason into here are things that, that we know and are documented. I mean, uh, then uh, when when uh, now Senator Bennett was uh, at at the site and observed the entire audit, he had pages of things that he saw that were in violation of the statutes. To sit down and say this is what happened, um, and and in fact they happened under uh, then uh, when she was Secretary of State. Yeah, she was under Secretary of State. They happened under her watch. But it was documented, and no one has argued those. Yes, they've argued against the results of the of the audit, but they have not argued against what, what Mr. Bennett found in violation of uh, state statutes. To put together a codified program that members of the House and the Senate, both parties, can say, yeah, you know what, we really need to, we really need to tighten up in this area. I have said from 2020 on, the problem that we've had in Arizona is partly, the, is partly, if not a lot, the legislature's problem. We have passed laws since uh, 2012, our, uh, our statehood, I don't mean 2012, our statehood that dealt with election. And we passed it on down to the counties, and we assumed, and you know what that word means, exactly. we, assumed, we, we assumed that it would be interpreted correctly. Good people can make mistakes. Uh, once they see the door is open, uh, they can take advantage of the the rules, the regulations. And how Vince, we're real short on we're real short on time. We've got two minutes Eb, left. Eb, Eb has a question for you. Hey, uh, Vince, the governor seems to be somewhere between belligerent and hostile. Do I understand there have been no direct talks on the budget? And if so, what kind of problems does that create for us? A ton of problems. Uh, I, I am. Uh, it's really unfortunate. I have to go fast here with the with the budget discussion. It is my understanding, and I've been able to verify it, that there haven't been any any talks between the the, the legislature and the governor's office. We are halfway through the legislative session. Uh, by this time, in the past eight years, there are always discussions. 
albeit beginning discussions, to agree on what the revenue number was, what the expense number was, and, and start going. By taking almost 60 days out of the cycle, we are just 60 days closer to June 30th, and, and bad things happen when you have to make decisions in the parking lot. It's really uh, both sides, both sides. But if you look at it from another standpoint, why would Ms. Hobbs you know, want to negotiate? Well, maybe she just wants to make the Republicans look bad. I, if I was in a Republican, if I was there, I would be pushing her and being very vocal on the fact that we need to sit down in a room and start pushing this out. And they're going to be rough negotiations, but they have to be done. The legislature must pass and have signed a balanced budget by June 30th. And that day is fast approaching. Yeah, she just wants to get the illegal immigration college bill in there. Yeah, she wants $40 million for that. She wants $150 million for the Housing Trust Fund. Quite honestly, uh, the eight years that I was there, the Housing Trust Fund always asked for more money. The fact is, it's not working for the homeless. It simply is not working uh, for a number of reasons we don't have time to go into. Maybe that's a, another discussion someday. It doesn't work. Uh, there are other programs outside of the Ninth Circuit, and there's a reason why uh, there's problems in the Ninth Circuit. But Dallas is doing things, Georgia is doing things to deal with the homeless that is taking less money. Vince, we're out of time. Of Vince, right. Vince Leach, we're at the end of our time today. Um, hey, insiders, be sure to check out my Facebook and Twitter accounts for the latest news and my views on the news. Until next week, for Inside Track, this is Bruce Ash And Eb Wilkinson. Wishing you all a very pleasant good afternoon. See you again in 167 hours. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. What other kind of customers do you have? So our biggest customers are actually like ranchers and people from outside of the Tucson area. They're buying a lot of square tubing. They're buying a lot of stuff for their ranch to close off fences. We'll sell anything from 10 feet to 10,000 feet to somebody that comes in because we have new steel and surplus steel from steel mills. The reason we're able to get such good pricing on some of this stuff is A, we sell scrap to the mill. So... Uh, we have a relationship there and then we can buy material what they're making bringing it back and so we save on freight and we have relationships for years with them so i think that's really our niche market we'll sell whatever you need tucson iron and metal surplus call 209-1579 stop by the yard 701 east 36th street open monday through saturday This is Ed Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management reminding you that every good and excellent thing stands moment by moment on the razor's edge of danger and must be fought for, including getting out of debt, building your wealth, and protecting your God-given right. We manage money for gun owners. Let us help you retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me at 777-1911 or wilkinsonwealthmgmt.com.